called Stewarding the Kingdom, which is about how to steward, which is just a, a biblical word for manage, how to manage the things that God has given us, how to manage the life, the relationships, the money, the time, the finances, all that stuff that God has given to us as his servants to serve him. But then in the middle of that stewarding the kingdom, as we started to get rolling with stewarding the kingdom, the Lord had me put a pause on that series and do, if you will, a series within a series called They Will All Be Taught by the Lord. Because what the Lord is, was, was revealing to me and reminding me that no, one of the most important things that we need to learn as stewards of his stuff is to know how to hear his voice, how to be led by his spirit so that we know what to do. How do we know what to do if we don't know what his will is, right? How are we supposed to, do, to manage God's stuff for his glory if we don't know how to hear his voice? And so the Lord said, hey, put a pause on that and teach my people how to be taught by the Lord. And of course, this, uh, this series, how, uh, They Will All Be Taught by the Lord, is a, uh, comes from a promise that the Lord Jesus made himself, quoting from Isaiah 54, the Lord Jesus made that of all the children of God, Jesus' sheep, that we as sheep would hear the shepherd's voice, that we would all be taught by the Lord, and many promises throughout the Bible that say that we, having the Holy Spirit as children of God, will be led by the Spirit and will know how to hear his voice. And so we've been teaching you and encouraging you both that this is promised in the word of God, and we've been talking about how to hear his voice. And then last week, I started off by saying, uh, by teaching, uh, or not starting off, but last week I began to teach us how, number one, he teaches us from the Bible, right? The scriptures, the written word of God, that God teaches us from the Bible, and that if we'll come to God in the word, and we'll allow the Lord to teach us from the word, so much of what we need to know. In fact, I, I think we could boldly say most of what we need to know about God and, uh, and his will right there in the word of God. Of course, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate things to us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to personalize the application of the Bible. But so much of what is right or wrong, so much of what is known, and really all that is known about God, he has revealed to us in the word of God. And so I was challenging us, man, we need to be in the word. If we're not in the Bible, if we're not in the scriptures, how are we going to be taught by the Lord? The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and me and wants to lead us and guide us, he wrote the Bible, right? And which brings me uh, today to Revelation 3. Revelation 3, in verse 20, the, uh, John, if you will, this is a, uh, Revelation is basically a, a prophetic word to the church of that day. Jesus was speaking to the church from heaven. Jesus, who's the pastor of the church, pastor of our church, he was speaking through the Apostle John, through John to the church, much like the Jesus would speak to us prophetically and does. And so as we read through these letters, seven letters to seven churches in the beginning of Revelation, that Jesus is prophesying, speaking through John to these churches. And right there in the last letter to the last church, uh, and it's how he kind of wraps up the whole, the seven letters. He writes to this church who, who was dealing with some, some if, uh, Jesus calls it lukewarmness. And he says this to them in Revelation 3 verse 20. It's a very well-known verse that often people quote when they're doing evangelism. Though that's not wrong to quote it for evangelism, it's not its only application. It's not even its primary application. 
Revelation 3.20 is written to the church of Laodicea, not to the people who are lost. But, it, like I said, it does apply to those who don't know Jesus, but it also applies to us. And so, in Revelation 3.20, you'll, you'll be familiar with this verse, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Let me read that again. Really try to pay attention to the words here. As the Lord wants to show us something. Listen to this. Jesus is saying, Behold, like check it out. Listen up. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So Jesus is talking to this church through John and he's giving an invitation and he's saying, I'm standing at this door and I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on a door. And notice he says this, if anyone hears my, not knock, he doesn't say, if anyone hears my knock, he says, if anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice, very important, isn't it? He says, and if he hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. So what's the door? Your heart, isn't it? It's the hearing of faith that we've been talking about in other Sundays. That hearing God is not some sort of ritual or some sort of skill. It's a component of faith. Notice how Jesus is knocking. He's knocking with his voice. He's knocking by speaking to the people. Do you see that? Here I am, I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. I mean, this is, is, a, is a real door, but it's spiritual. It's the door of your heart. It's the door of my heart. And he's knocking. And, 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 and are, do you actually hear a knock? Because we're worshiping. You hear this like, doom, doom, doom. Well, what was that? No, you hear his voice. You hear his word coming to you. But though you might hear like the preaching of the word when Jesus was on earth, what did he do? He taught the word, didn't he? And he said, let him who hear or let him who has ears hear. Meaning that you might have ears, but you might not actually hear in your heart. You might have eyes, but you might not see spiritually what he's trying to get at. And so Jesus, similar to when he was on earth, teaching and preaching, he's saying, do you hear what I'm trying to say. Do you hear me knocking? And he's not knocking with his fist. He's knocking with his voice. And he's saying, if you hear, if anyone hears me and opens the door, what is that? If anyone hears and believes me and responds by opening their heart, notice what he says. I'll come into him, right? Him or her, to the person to come dwell in us, right? 
He doesn't say, I'll come into your house. He's not knocking on the door of your physical house. He's knocking on you. He's knocking on your heart with his voice. And he's wanting you to let him in. Now, see, what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to talk about how he knocks with his voice. How the Lord leads us and speaks to us by his spirit. Because that would be the most linear thing for me to do. Last week, I talked about how he teaches us with his word. And today, I will talk to us about how he teaches us with his spirit. But the Lord said, nope. I said, Lord, that's the most linear thing to do. He said, nope. Kind of frustrating, you know, you got your plan and the Lord's got a different plan, right? He said, nope. And so I'll talk to you about that later. If anyone hears my voice, the Lord wants to lead you by his spirit. But he showed me something else here. What he's doing is he's inviting us to let him in, isn't he? And notice what he says, if we'll hear his voice. If we'll hear the gospel and believe it, if we'll hear the word and believe the word and open our hearts to him, what does he want to do? It says, and I will come in to him and dine with him. This is what the Lord wants to talk to us about today. He wants to come into you. He wants to dine with you. The Lord wants intimate friendship with you. He doesn't just want to be casually friends. He doesn't just want to be acquaintances. He wants to be intimate friends. He wants to dine with you, hang out with you, talk with you and you with him. He wants friendship with you, fellowship, communion, intimacy is what he's longing for. This is what you were created for. This is what Jesus died for. This is what he wants. See, hearing God's voice, being led by the Spirit, is not just about getting direction for your life. It's not just about getting provision for your life. It's not just about being a steward of his stuff, although we need to learn that. We need to learn how, as servants of the Lord, we can steward God. And we need to learn how to hear his voice because, as he said, my voice is your provision, right? For man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the Lord wants to provide for you. And he wants to give you direction. Those things we need very much, don't we? The very things that you and I are longing for. Maybe, oh God, I need a job. Or Lord, what do I do? I need to, have, I need to know what to do in this situation. Or I've got this struggle in this relationship here. And ah, it's really driving me nuts. I, I need a breakthrough. I need some strategy here. We need those things. And does he care about those things? Yes. And he promises if you'll seek me first and my kingdom, I'll add all those things unto you. He promises if you delight in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. He promises if you acknowledge me in all your ways, I'll direct your path. He promises to take care of those things. But that's not the most important thing, is it? Is it? What's the most important thing? What he wants more than anything else is an intimate friendship with you. What he wants more than anything else is for you to open your heart when you hear the word of God, when you hear him knocking with his voice, and he wants you to open your heart to him, and he wants to come into you and dine with you. He wants to nourish you and cherish you and feed you with his word. This is what he wants, and it's what you need. What you and I need more than anything else is not, God, I just need some direction in my life. God, I need you to come through for me. I need you to answer my prayer. Those things are good. He's going to do them. But that's not the number one thing, is it? 
The number one thing is you and I need intimacy with God. This is what the Lord wants to remind us of today. See, He doesn't just want an acquaintance. Let, let, me, let me give you a scenario. Imagine, imagine that, that, there, that you're, um, you know, pick, pick, pick uh, there's two people in this story, three people in this story, pick one. Imagine that there's an older person in our church. And then there's a younger person in this church. And, and imagine that the older person and the younger person have developed a friendship. Uh, uh, kind of like a spiritual dad or a spiritual mom to a spiritual child. And there's this older person, they have wisdom and, 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 and they just they love this uh, younger person. Now this is not uncommon in our church, right? We have younger and we have older and, and, and we live together as a family in many ways. We, we, in many ways we're a family. And, and, and imagine that this older person, this younger person, they, they get together maybe once a week or every other week or even once a month, but they, they fellowship together. They talk. They're, they're open and they're vulnerable and, and they share their journey. And, and that older person is there to give some wisdom and that older person there is just to, there to be, to be caring to this person. And the younger person is so appreciative and, and, and even feels like there's like a, a friendship there, some sort of a, a closeness, a camaraderie. Now, now imagine that the older person has a birthday and, and a bunch of people get together at, at their house, to, to, to maybe a little, little barbecue or something, and they're there to celebrate that older person's uh, life. And of course, the younger person is there uh, to fellowship with them and, and, to, uh, and to bless them, right? But also the older person's biological family comes over. You can imagine that, right? And so the, a biological son or a biological daughter comes over as well. And it's kind of awkward. There's kind of an awkward feel to the, to the atmosphere. You, you almost, if, you, you know, if you're in the, in the shoes of the younger person, you could kind of tell, or maybe you're just a, another person in the church, and you can just kind of tell there's something a little awkward about the relationship between mom and daughter or, or son and, 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 and father. And, and, and you don't know what to, how to put your finger on it quite, you know? But, but they just don't seem all that close. I mean, they're biologically father, son, or mother, daughter, but they don't seem all that close. And, and you, can, you can tell uh, maybe the younger uh, uh, spiritual son and the biological son, they start talking. And they're talking about the, the dad. And, 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 and you find that the, the, the biological son really doesn't have much to share only has things to say about the past. And, and then when everybody goes around and, and shares about this older person and, and, and the blessing that they are, everybody has something good to say, but you can tell that the younger, uh, the, the, the biological child doesn't really have much to say. You ever, you ever been in that situation? They almost like don't really know what to say about their own parent. In fact, you almost kind of get a sense that they're like offended at their own parent, that they're a little bit like, like don't know what to say. Maybe they share something from their childhood, but they don't really have like an, a current story and they don't really have and, and you almost hear like almost like a little bit of a like a hurt or pain or bitterness in their voice you ever you ever been in that situation it feels kind of awkward like everyone's honoring but and everybody kind of knows we all know this person better than their own child does now that that might hit closer to home for some of you than that might not just be a hypothetical story because in our church we have that we have that spiritual family See, it's very possible, isn't it, to have a biological connection to somebody and not actually know them, huh? It's very possible to be the son or the daughter of a parent and have no current relationship with them, isn't it? 
It's very possible to not be a biological son or daughter, but to have this intimate friendship. Think about that for a second. Do you have an acquaintance with God? Or maybe you have some stories from your childhood. You don't really have a current story with God. That if everybody were to go around the room, you don't have much to add to God or about God. Do do, do you have an acquaintance with God? Maybe even you're like that that biological son or daughter who maybe there's some sort of wrong mindset that you have about God. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's a good dad. But maybe there's been some stuff in your life and you really, you believe lies about God. You think somehow he's the one who's orchestrated some bad things and you're kind of bitter at God. And so when everyone goes around and they're so thankful with God, you, 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 you kind of force it like, yeah, God's good. <laughs> but everybody knows there's an awkwardness in the room because you really kind of like actually are kind of mad at God and you're kind of estranged from God. You might, you might call him up every once in a while and ask him for some money like a child might do or, or, or you might go to a birthday party, you know, like Jesus' birthday or his second birthday, Easter. You might show up every once in a while, but you really don't know him. You and him don't dine together. You don't sit across the table and have intimate fellowship where you talk and you listen and he shares what's going on in his life. You share what's going on in yours. Do you have an acquaintance with God? Where like, it's kind of a cold and estranged and you're mad at him and you're believing some lies or maybe there's some shame in your heart and you feel like God's mad at you and so you can't really come to him because you, you think he's disappointed with you and by the way, he's not. But all these wrong mindsets are there keeping you from intimacy with God or do you have an intimate friendship with God where you trust him because he loves you and he's forgiven you and though bad things have happened, he's always been with you and he's good and he's working those things out for good. You have an intimate friendship with God where you sit with Him and talk with Him and know Him. This is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord wants. And the Lord Lord reminded me of what's called the tent of meeting. If you want to turn to Exodus, you can, but we'll try to throw the the stuff up there on the screen. But Exodus 29, the Lord reminded me of the, uh, it's called the tent of meeting. Listen to this. Starts off in... uh, in verse 42 of Exodus 29. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Okay, so what's going on in Exodus is God has brought them out of Egypt, right? And he's brought them to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's giving them the Ten Commandments, and he's giving Moses instruction about this tabernacle. 
And so in Exodus 24 and, and through 29, tremendous detail about this tabernacle that you can read another day, right? He's talking about the tabernacle and the colors and the setup and the poles and all this stuff. And, and, and he's talking about this, the, 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 the uh, uh, ark of the covenant and the mercy seat where the presence of God would come and the cherubim and, and all this stuff. And, and he's talking about the veil that would separate the holy place from the most holy place where the ark was and the presence of God was. There was this veil. And, and he's talking about the, 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 this little altar that would have incense burned on it and, and a, and a, and a lampstand with seven lamps and the oil that would go in the lampstands to burn this lamp, burn the oil in the lamp, and, and, and a table uh, and with bread that would go on it, and you'd have to have the bread there all the time, and, 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 the, uh, and the altar, the bigger altar, where they would sacrifice things, and especially the continual burnt offering, which we just read about. And, and, and all throughout these chapters is tremendous detail about this tabernacle. And if you've ever, led, if you've ever read Leviticus or ever made it through it without falling asleep. The, there is so much detail about the sacrifices. And, and I forgot, in Exodus, he talks about the priests, and the priestly garments, and the ephod, and the garments, and the, and the hat, and all this, and the oil that they have. You had to pour the oil on them, and the this, and the that, and how to consecrate them, and what they do, and, and all this stuff. If you read through so much of the Torah, is actually the setting up of this tabernacle. All throughout Exodus, and then they actually give... Detail of setting it up. So like the whole second half of Exodus, for the most part, some of its laws and some of its, just the tabernacle. Tons. You read through Leviticus and it's this whole sacrificial system. Doing this sacrifice and that sacrifice and this sacrifice and and all the festivals. And all it is is setting up this system. And it's all for this purpose. Did you hear what he said? This the key verse. I mean, like literally, if you fall asleep through the rest of the the chapters, like this would be the one to wake you up, right? Like you're like, and it's blue, and the cow skin, and the blue thing, and the what, and the poles, and it's this many cubits, and the what, and the huh, and the and why am I reading this? And then, bam, verse forty three, and all of a sudden you're like, what? And it says this. Verse 42 and 43. The tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you and speak to you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified or set apart for my glory or by my glory. What does he call it? Tabernacle just means tent, by the way. Just a fancy word for tent. Tent. You guys all live in tents. That's what he's saying. You, know, you guys all live in tents, and you're setting up a tent. I'm like, you guys set up a tent for a king. If you, were, if you were an army traveling through the desert, you'd set up a tent for the king, and the king would live there. And he says, I want you to set up a tent for me. And all the detail and everything is all beautiful, and it's amazing because like, you, would, you would put all that detail in for a king. And here's this tent. And what does he call it? The tent of meeting before the Lord. That's its name. That's its name. Now now think about that for a second. The tent of meeting. The tent of meeting before the Lord. The tent where you meet with God. And he speaks to you. 
Now think about that. We give names to something to tell its purpose, don't we? Right? Come on, you all know, you all know what Chili's is. Bar and grill. Right? You all know. Right? You all know. Driving down the street and you got La Toteca. Mexican restaurant. Okay, right? We, te- we label things, we label things for their purpose. Yes? Now, in our consumeristic culture, we know what we're going to get there. We know what we're going to buy, what they're selling. Right? I'm not saying God is in any way being consumeristic. What I'm saying is, God has just labeled it. I mean, if there was a sign on the outside of the tent, it'd be tent of meeting before the Lord, right? You'd be walking, you know, walking your camel or something. No, I'm just messing around. They didn't really usually have camels. Maybe your donkey or something. And walking it, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, the tent of meeting. It's telling you what it's for, right? You all know if you're hungry, you want some good tacos, right? You see, oh, there it is, Mexican restaurant, right? The tent of tacos. I want some tacos. I want some tacos. I want to go eat some tacos, right? You know what you're going to get, right? It's telling us the purpose. And here is God saying, I want you to set up this tent called the tent of meeting. Because there's one purpose for this tent. That you could meet with God. That is amazing. The whole purpose of this tent was not to keep people away from God, but to get people to God. The whole point of this tent is that you could come and meet with God and that He would speak to you. And the whole point of the the sacrificial system and the tabernacle and the priestly garments and the incense and all of that, they were actually, the Bible says they were a picture of what's actually in heaven, a type of what's fulfilled in Christ. And all of it was set up so that an unholy people, before the blood of Jesus was shed, could meet with a holy God. Did you hear what he said there at the end of Exodus? He said, verse 46, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. I want you to know that I delivered you out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of sin, out of slavery, because I want to be with you. Isn't this why God created us? In Genesis chapter 3, 8, it says that God was walking in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. Isn't this why God created us? That, that, that He wanted to walk with the people of Israel. I mean, walk with the people that He created. Later, it's Israel. You know, Eden, I don't have time to prove this to you, but Eden was a type of that tabernacle, which is a type of heaven. Eden was heaven on earth. Eden was, literally, it means paradise, the pleasure of God, where we would enjoy God and He would enjoy us, where we would know Him and He would know us. This is how everything was, this is the essence of why He created us. Yes, out of that intimacy comes partnering with Him for a purpose. But we were created for this. And the tabernacle 
He set that up so he could dwell in the midst of Israel, a holy God in the midst of an unholy people. And he set up the whole system, the sacrificial system, so that these people, even though they had sin in their life, could come and connect with God. He doesn't just say that the priest could come or Moses could come. He says so that the Israelites, the people, could come to the tent of meeting and meet with God. Now, the most important verse, I think, regarding this subject is actually in Hebrews 9, 8, where it says this. He says in Hebrews 9, 8, that the Holy Spirit was telling us something through these things. He says in verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the him who performed the service perfect in regard to consciousness. Concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Let me go back up to verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way, holiest of all, was not yet made manifest. Why did I say that's probably the most important verse? Because what's going on is God was trying to show the people of Israel and us that He wants to dwell with us, and He wants to be with us. And that without blood shed, we cannot, uh, unholy people, come and be with a holy God. He was trying to show us back in those days that he was making a way for the Israelites to meet with him and know him. But he was also showing that until the blood of Jesus would be shed, we wouldn't have complete access into the holiest of holies. We wouldn't have complete access. We'd have to continually sacrifice these things and do these rituals. But now that Jesus has come, it says then in chapter 10, Verse 12, but this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And then listen, verse 14, for by one offering he is perfected forever those who are being made sanctified. What's going on? And what happened was that when Jesus shed his blood, he forgave us of every sin, made us holy in God's sight, making us perfect in Christ, sinless in our spirit. And Jesus, the, the veil that was separating people from the holy place to the most holy place is called the flesh of Jesus. That when he was crucified, he made the way open for us to come into the presence of God. So that now, where the Holy Spirit in the past was saying, see all this sacrificial system? This is to show you that, that, that you need a Savior. And now that Jesus has come, the way has made open, has been made open, so that we can come into his presence and do what? Meet with him. The tent of meeting is now open, completely open, so that we can come into the presence of God. There's no more sin hindering us from coming into his presence. There's no need to make sacrifices and do rituals because Jesus has died and risen. 
and that veil has been torn and we can come in. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Why did he die? Why did he shed his blood for us? It's so that the desire of his heart, the sin was removed so that he could get what he wants, you and me. The sin was removed so that he could come into you and into me and dine with us and have fellowship, amen? That's what he wants. That's what he wants, is friendship with us. And that's why when he died, it fulfilled that prophecy in Jeremiah 31, and now all know me. They shall all know me. Because that's what he wanted. He wanted to remove that veil. He wanted to remove that thing that was keeping you from knowing God. He wanted to remove that thing where you couldn't come in. And now you can come in. And it says, he goes on in Hebrews, he goes on to say, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And he goes on, saying, listen, there's no more shame. There's nothing hindering you from coming into God. You can come boldly. You don't have to have an acquaintance with God. You don't have to have a distant relationship with God. You don't have to let anything keep you from being close to God or let Him be close to you. All that's been removed by the cross and you can have a friendship with God. You can know God and be taught by the Lord. You can let Him in and have that fellowship with Him. You don't have to be like a person who says, well, but my dad's the king and he's really busy and I've really made a lot of mistakes and he doesn't really want to be around me anyways and, and however that, those words manifest in our life, right? Like where you just, well, I don't want to bother God. I wouldn't want to ask too much of him. Or, or I don't know if he really wants to do that for me. You don't have to be like that. But you can come like a child, boldly into the king's throne room because he's your dad. You can come busting through those doors. He's in the middle of a planning meeting and just interrupt everybody and come and sit on his lap. And be with your dad. And you can ask him for help. It says in Hebrews 4 that you can come boldly into the throne, to the throne of grace, for help in time of need. You don't don't have to stay on the outside of the presence of God because you've got questions about God, or you're concerned about something, or you're anxious, or you're worried that I just sinned, or I'm really struggling with this temptation. You don't have to stay on the outside trying to figure out the answer to your questions, trying to figure out the, okay, I've got to get my doubt dealt with before I can go to God, or I've got to get my, 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 my sin issue dealt with before I can go to church, that kind of thing, you know, that many of our friends probably deal with. Oh, he says, come to me, right? Come boldly, I'm your dad. He says, come on in and tell me what you need. Tell me what you need. Ask me, and I'll meet those needs for you, right? You come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that Jesus has shed the blood, and you come and ask for help, is what he's saying.
See, I've encouraged you this. I encourage you. You want to be taught by the Lord. You want to have this friendship with God. You start by thanking Him for what the Word says. I've, I've told you this for a lot lately. Don't, don't say, I don't hear God. Don't say that. But begin to thank the Lord for what the Word says He has provided at the cross. Begin to thank the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that your word says everyone can know you. And you've provided for that at the cross. Begin to speak the promises of God out that I've taught you from the Bible. You say, well, what are those? Well, go grab a CD from that, from the or, or other sermons. And listen to it again. Write those scriptures down. And begin to thank the Lord and pray those scriptures and meditate those scriptures. What I'm saying is don't come to God with shame or unbelief or... I just really wish that I could hear your voice, God. You know, sometimes praying or talking like that, man, you know, I really wish I could know you, God, and I, I, just, I just don't know how to do it, God, and I pray you'd help me. That kind of prayer, you're really not coming boldly into his throne room. It's kind of like you're standing outside the throne room saying, I just really wish I could talk to my dad, and I really wish I could know him and hear his voice, and that's why, we try not, that's why we don't sing songs like that at our church, you know what I'm saying? No, we come boldly and say, God, I need you, right? Praying and asking God is important. But asking God in unbelief or asking God without the faith of what he's promised in his word, it's not good. The Bible says you, can't, you don't please God without faith. But in Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious for anything. But he says, he says this in Philippians 4. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, if you'll come to God with thankfulness, not only will you get your prayers answered, because he said, Ask and you shall receive, but you'll have peace even while you're waiting for the answer. Because that's what you need more than anything else, right? See, he says, gracious. but come to God and let him know your request, but with thankfulness. See, so, see, listen, the basis for your thankfulness is the confidence you have in the blood of Jesus. How do you come boldly into the throne of grace? He says, he says, okay, therefore, the blood of Jesus has been shed so you guys can come boldly, draw near to God, having been washed in the blood of Jesus. You come boldly. So well, how do I do that? It, it, it all seems kind of a little bit spiritual, right? You know, I could just imagine some guy like, what do I do? Open your mouth and thank him. Because thankfulness is rooted in the finished work of the cross. You're thanking him for what he has done. And so you come to God Instead of standing outside the throne room, struggling, right, with anxiety, worrying, trying to figure it out, okay, okay, I need to do this, I need to do that, pros and cons, da 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 and you're wrestling with it in your mind, you feel confused in your mind, and you feel anxious in your emotions, and you're trying to strive and get this stuff figured out in your own human effort, or solve this problem, and you're trying to do it on your own, which is called the flesh. He's saying, I'm knocking on with my voice here. And I want you to come to me and I want to come to you. And the number one thing I'm saying is boldly come to him. Boldly means 
That in the midst of your questions and your struggles and your temptations and your anxiety, you come into the throne room and you say, God, I thank you that you, you, you know me and I know you. You're my God. And you've made this way so I could come into the tent of meeting and be with you, Lord. And I thank you that I'm your son. I'm your sheep. I can hear your voice, Lord. I thank you that you're going to speak to me, Lord. Thank you that you're going to do that. You begin to thank the Lord for the finished work of the cross. You come boldly with thankfulness. And you cast those cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. You come to him and you give him that anxiety and that worry. And then the other thing that I've been encouraging you to do is don't just come to God to get an answer. Don't just come to God because you want to get something from him. You know? Well, I prayed about it. I didn't hear anything. You know, moving on. Or I read my Bible and I didn't really get anything out of it. So, moving on. And so often we give up because we didn't get our quick fix or our instant gratification. Or we didn't get the thing we wanted right away or the way we wanted it. But listen, what you need more than even the answer to your prayer or that direction for that question you have, what you need more than anything else is to dine with him. And it's actually in the presence of God when you're sitting with Jesus and you're fellowshipping with Him and you're in the Word or you're spending some time in worship and just loving on God. It's actually in that place that He's going to speak to you. See, He's going to give you the desire of your heart. He's going to answer you. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. But it's not... He's not a slot machine or a genie or anything like that, right? He's not a Pez dispenser. He's your dad. He's your friend. He's your pastor, your bridegroom, your lover, your Lord. And he wants to sit with you and he wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him. He wants to know you and, and he wants you to know him. That's what he wants and that's what you and I need more than anything else. Think about it this way, the abiding. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So where does the fruitfulness come from? From abiding. He has promised fruitfulness for you. He has promised to bless you. He has promised to give you those things. Fruitfulness means answers to prayer. It means a breakthrough in your life. It means anointing in ministry. It means the promises of God flourishing in your life. That's exactly what fruitfulness means. You can read it in John 15. But he says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. So if you do the abiding, he does the much fruit. Yeah? All that you need for life and ministry flows out of intimacy with God. Yeah? It's in his presence. See, so instead of trying to get God to tell you something, worship him. Isn't this what King David figured out? Yeah? Isn't this what Moses figured out? You can look at it later, but in Exodus 33, Moses sets up a tent called the Tent of Meeting. This is before they had everything built. It's kind of like a temporary Tent of Meeting. But he called it the Tent of Meeting, same purpose. And Moses would go out and he would meet with God and the Bible says very specifically, and God and him talked like friends, face to face. It doesn't mean that they, he saw God's face. It's talking about face to face to face intimate friendship where I know you and you know me, where I talk openly with God. I just talk with him like I would talk to anyone else. 
and God talks to me. That's what the Lord wants. See, David picked up on that, didn't he? And in Psalm 27 and at many places in the, in the Psalms, David calls this place the secret place. The secret place. He's, David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and this is what I desire or seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Now David actually set up his own tent and put the Ark of the Covenant in his own tent, in his own city, so he could come and hang out with God. David caught this, didn't he? And he called it the secret place. You want to know why he called it the secret place? A lot behind this, but... Because he understood it's not just about this physical place. Now, it's good. It's very important. If you would set up a physical place and a, and, a, and a physical time to meet with God. Just like the was to be sanctified by God's glory, consecrated for this purpose of meeting, I would encourage you to have a specific time and place where you go and you meet with God. It'll help you to be focused and disciplined. And I encourage you to talk out loud because you're talking with him like a friend. He's not a mythical person. He's real. And you talk with God face to face. And when you read the Bible, he's speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit will then illuminate those things. But I want to encourage you. It's not just about that physical space and time, is it? It's about the secret place. It's about coming and gathering here today. But the secret place is that place where by faith you came and you connected with him and him with you. The secret place isn't just that you went and you had a little bit of prayer meeting with some friends or, or you had some time with God in your car or, or in, your, in your house or in a closet or something or on a walk or a run. The secret place was that when you came to him, you came with faith and you opened up your heart and he connected with you and you with him. That's the secret place. And David is saying, that's my one thing. That's my one desire. I want to dwell in his house. Not just the physical house. I want to dwell in his presence. And I want to gaze upon his beauty. Meaning, I, just, I want to gaze upon God, who he is. I want to meditate upon God's beauty and God's worth. What is David saying? I, I don't just want an answer from God. I don't want it just the quick fix. I want to be with God. And I want to love God for who God is. And then the third thing, and I want to inquire of the Lord. I want to know his will. But the knowing God and the knowing his will, it flows out of that place of intimacy. Amen? It flows out of that. See, if you want to cultivate this friendship with God, if you want to be a person who's taught by the Lord and hear God's voice, don't, don't, don't be in a rush. You need some time to pause. Set aside that space and time to be with God and to read the word. And you need some time to meditate on the word throughout your day or, or whatnot and some time to worship the Lord. You know, a lot of times, I don't necessarily feel like praying or worshiping. What I'll do is I'll just put on a, a, like a, a song of worship, and I'll begin to sing. I'll begin to sing out to the Lord, and that, and that song, that the CD or whatever, I mean, I usually use my iPad or something, it, it can help me kind of get outward, if you will, get beyond my flesh, my, my physical weariness sometimes, my emotional whatever junk going on inside of me, whatever, right? There's just stuff. We get tired or... I begin to just bless the Lord. And I usually turn it off. 
and I just begin to talk to God or sing to the Lord, or I'll just let the music play. And I just begin to sing my own song or begin to declare out loud to God. And sometimes it's quiet, and I just pray like a whisper. But other times I'm shouting and I'm declaring because I need to do that. But oftentimes I just kind of put the music aside and I begin to just sing to the Lord or bless the Lord. There's times where I'll sit and I'll, I'll read the Bible. Other times I just sit and meditate on one thing. Just meditate on one thing just over and over again. You know, other times it's just in the craziness of being home with the kids. It's just singing to the Lord or praying in the Spirit. or Right there in the midst of my own house, I, I could do this more. You know, a lot of times I'm with the kids, I'm trying to focus on them, but I just stop. I try to connect with the Lord in that secret place. See, that's, if you cultivate that, if you cultivate that, you'll begin to hear the Lord. But don't think that you can just be in a rush or call up God on the fly, like, hey, I need you, hey, I need an answer here, and think that you're just going to get that stuff right away. You need to be in the Word to know the principles and the truths by which He would guide you. And you need to be fellowshipping with the Lord so that He can speak to you and impress things on your heart. Let me just end with this. Recently I had some question marks about some things that the Lord was saying to me. A couple of question marks, two or three. And I don't like that. I began to feel very anxious, very unsettled. I'm a very decisive person. I like to hear God. That's what he said. We're going to do that. That doesn't mean that I don't hesitate or disobey God sometimes, you know? But generally speaking, I like to know and just move on forward. My wife knows. I can be decisive. There's a strength and a weakness to that. Right? There's a strength to that. There will also be a weakness. And I've been encountering the weakness of it lately. I've had this anxiety inside of me because I don't know or I'm not sure what God is saying on a couple of things. And I found myself getting kind of anxious and I even found myself getting a little frustrated with God. God, just tell me. Can you just talk to me? Just tell me what to do. And probably frustrated with myself because some of it is probably my faith that needs some, cl- some, some, I need some clarity in my faith, not just some clarity in God speaking. And anxiety doesn't help that. And I came to a place, and I don't know if the Lord spoke this to me or another way that the Lord does things. It's just the, the illumination from the Word of God, renewing our mind. And I, I, I told the Lord, you know, I just, I know some things from the Lord. I, just, I know anxiety is not from you, right? And when I sense frustration in my heart, ouch, I'll tell you, that's immaturity. Start grumbling or getting frustrated with God. Obviously, I have a wrong mindset with God and some wrong motives, guaranteed. So I know that. And I know right there there's something I need to repent of. So I'm coming to the Lord. And I'm saying, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, you're not the wrong and wrong. I'm the one who's in the wrong, right? And I just tell the Lord, I begin to talk to God and say, Lord, I repent of anxiety and I renounce that anxiety and that fear right now. But again, to realize something, that I was anxious because I want control. And I want certainty. And that was tempting me to be my idol. Not in general, I don't think that is my idol. I'm not saying it's like I have idolatry in my heart. But it began to realize 
that my trust was in being certain, right? I hear God. I hear God. I know what God's saying, right? Instead of, thank you, Lord, that you'll lead me. So I began to renounce that control, pride, anxiety. I began to come to the Lord, and I said, you know, you know what you want me to do. You know what you want us, the church, to do. You know the future, and you know everything, and I don't need to know. See, sometimes we begin to use faith as a manipulative tool, right? Sometimes we begin to learn some things. I don't know about you. I begin to learn how the kingdom works, begin to try to manipulate God. I'm not trying to, but we're like little kids sometimes, right? Spiritually. I began to realize there was some immaturity in my heart. Out of a need to know, I'm going to try and get God to tell me, right? Now, I believe that the Lord's going to make those things clear. I really do. And I do believe it's probably mostly my faith that needs to grow. However, I think there's times where the Lord does not tell us everything. In fact, we know from 1 Corinthians 13 that though we can know Him and know His will, we'll always know in part here on this earth. There's a humility about that. We need to be living in community. But if anyone ever tells you, I know everything about God or everything about God's will, they're lying because we don't know. And this sermon series is not so you can have everything figured out so that you can trust the Lord to lead you, yeah? So I started realizing that about my own self. And I say, Lord, I give you that anxiety. I'm going to trust you to lead me. And I come back to that place of saying, Lord, I'm going to worship you. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're going to speak to me. And I have to thank him in the midst of not seeing the provision or not seeing the direction, not feeling it, not hearing it. I have to say, but I thank you that you said it and I believe you. And sometimes that means remembering what he said. And other times that means waiting on the Lord as we bless him and love him. But I just tell the Lord, you know, and I don't need to know. I'm sure you will direct my path. Which is not just circumstances. I want to be led by the Spirit. Not circumstances. I want to be led by the Spirit. So Lord, I'm sure you're going to direct my path. But I don't need to know. All I need to know is you're a good dad. You're with me. What I need to do is the will of God. Just thank. No matter what situation we're in, we can just begin to thank the Lord. Right? So he's knocking on our hearts with the voice of the Lord. Inviting us to dine with him. Yeah, we need direction. We need to hear the Lord. And we're going to keep learning that. We're going to keep learning how to be led by the Spirit. But more than anything else, what he wants and what we need is intimate friendship. That's what the Lord is saying to us today, man. That's what he's inviting us into. That's what he's reminding us of. And so let's realign our hearts. Let's reconnect our hearts with the Lord in that way, yeah? Let's stand up and respond to him. Begin to thank the Lord. Begin to thank the Lord for the cross. Begin to thank the Lord that he speaks to you. Take those promises and those truths and those scriptures we just went over right now and begin to thank the Lord out loud. Remember, he th- just thank him. Come boldly to him right now. Thank you, Lord, that you love me and delight in me, that you forgive me of every sin, holy and blameless in your sight. Begin to speak that out to the Lord, even in a whisper. Speak it out to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have set up a tent of meeting, that you have set up a place where you and I could meet, the secret place. That's the secret place, Lord. And just tell the Lord, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to love you and worship you. I want to be with you in the secret place. Just tell the Lord what you want. Tell him that you want what he wants. He wants to be with you. 
Now just tell him, I want to be with you too, God. I, just, I want to be with you. When you, you're hearing the, the invitation to come into his presence, you're hearing that he wants to be with you. Now open the door of your heart and say, come on in, Lord, come on in. Thank you that you love me and want to be with me. Thank you that you're going to provide for me and give me everything that I need. Thank you, Lord. Just speak that thankfulness to the Lord. Thank you, Lord.